Hi everyone, it's Ricardo. It is a new year and guess what? We've got an exciting new opportunity for the Popping Collars universe. Have you ever listened to us and thought, I could do that? These guys don't even know what they're talking about. Have you ever had an idea for a podcast, but you just didn't know how to get it off the ground? Or have you started working on a podcast just to find that your only audience is your mom and your dog? Well, starting this year, we are beginning a special offering called Popping Collars Plus. Here's how it works. If you've got a podcast that's somewhere in the neighborhood of religion and popular culture, send us your recording and we will possibly host it on our feed, the longest running Episcopal feed of all time with thousands of downloads per month. It's an opportunity to get your voice to a wide audience and get that potential booster shot of listeners that you've always wanted. And we get the benefit of hearing from more diverse voices from around the religious world. So it's a win-win. So if you want to take advantage of Popping Collars Plus, just send an email and MP3 submission to poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com and we will review your offering and possibly put you on the feed. We're looking forward to hearing from all you creative souls. So keep those microphones humming and keep those collars do you happen to have handy how many books you've read last year yeah i can look it up yeah oh i know i know already i read 49 oh yeah beat me okay let's let's uh let's go ahead and uh do you want to host sure do you want me to yeah yeah okay i hate doing this part to the Poppin' Collars Book Club, PCBC, your favorite quarterly review of books by two of your favorite priests. I'm Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. And with me is my good friend, Ricardo Avila. Tell us who you are and where you're at. Ah, well, hey, Liz. I'm Ricardo Avila. I'm the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. Uh, happy to be here talking books with one of my favorite favorite literary people. Oh, thank you. What our listeners didn't hear is us spending about an hour gossiping about people we used to know. <laughs> so <laughs> that part didn't make the final cut. Indeed. So welcome to our conversation where we're shifting back to books. Um, one of the things that we've done every year that we've done this podcast, which is not that many years. Um, obviously, Popping Collars is the longest running Episcopal podcast ever, but the book club version of the pod is not quite as long. But we like to review the New York Times top 10 best books of the year. And this is our first time recording in 2023. So we thought we would look back over our shoulder at what the paper of record says were the best books of last year. And now I will say I have reading goals every year. That's a number usually. And sometimes I try to um, make a goal of how many fiction versus nonfiction I will read. But last year in 2022, one of my goals was to try to predict New York Times best of books and read them. And um, I didn't intend to do this by magic or anything. I just thought I'd pay good attention to the reviews and then try to get up on them and try to read the books. I think I failed. <laughs> so we'll find out, but I'm pretty sure that I failed. Wow. That's quite, a, I mean, I wouldn't even know. I mean, 
I, I've read glowing reviews of books and then read them and was just like, what the heck were they thinking? Yep. And Same. then, I, you know, I've read books that I thought were fantastic so much so that I went online to see what other people had said when it came out and it was mixed, you know? Exactly. That's, I do have at least one recommendation to give today. And it's, it's a book like that, that I read and I was like, this is the best thing I've read in years. And then the critical reviews were pretty mixed. Yeah. 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 Very true. Well, I think I think we just owe it to our listeners to step right into. Let's do. Uh, will you share your screen so I can see it too? Uh-huh. I certainly will. Let me see here. And this, dear listeners, is a compilation of what the New York Times thinks are the ten best books of the year, both fiction and nonfiction. So I tend to be a bigger um, fiction reader than nonfiction. What about you? I am likewise, although um, I, I don't seek them out necessarily. I don't seek out mm-hmm. fiction. Um, I just sort of say, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. And often it has to do with what's available for, uh, what do you call it? For uh, listening on audiobook from the library via the Libby app. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just put things on hold over you know, over time. And then when something pops up, I listen to it when I can. So yes, uh, it's mixed. So here we go. Liz, why don't I'll I'll scroll and and you. Okay, you scroll, I'll read. All right. Up first, we have the critically acclaimed The Candy House from Jennifer Egan. And I read um, A Visit from the Goon Squad when it came out and loved it. But I really, I really thought at the time, like it was a good read, but it felt to me like kind of commercial literary fiction, like. I liked it, but I wasn't like, wow, this is excellent. And apparently the candy house is awesome. I have not read it. Right. Right. You know, I also read a visit from the goon squad and I read it kind of after it had won. It's I think it won like the Pulitzer. It won the Pulitzer prize. Yeah. And like the national book award or something. Mm-hmm. It won like two biggies. And um, I liked it, but I think what I liked was that I felt really cool reading it. Ah, uh, yes. And it, it was, was like, a cool book. The music industry music. It had like a PowerPoint part in the back that was very postmodern. And yep. I definitely, you can't, that's, there's a book you can't really listen to on the audio book. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wonder how they did that for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I did like it and I'm, I think I would need to reread that before I go to the candy house. So, mm-hmm. so it looks like the candy house is a dystopia where um, all of the characters are imprisoned in a universe which through the wonders of technology people can access their entire memory banks and use the content as social media currency well that sounds very um (laughs) post-covid it does you know it's it's a sequel in case we didn't say that to uh visit from the goon is it really yeah, it's oh, um, I didn't know that. It's the much anticipated sequel. Oh, <laughs> um, so a lot of the characters come back. Um, what I've read about it is, um, is what this little blurb says, uh, that it's um, it has more heart. This book has mm. more heart, it's a little less kind of flashy. Um, and in some ways, I, I've heard some mixed things about it. I think people wanted some more, um, I don't know. What do you call it? Some more amazing stuff as opposed mm. to more heartfelt stuff. But, you know, I could revisit the visit from the goon squad. Sure. Go to Candy House again. I could do that. Yeah. 
Second book, Checkout 19 by Claire Louise Bennett. Have you read that? No, but I happen to have it in my hand right <gasps> Ooh, now. Look at it. I can see it. Oh, that's fun. You got that from the library? I did. It was on hold. And you know, it's one of those books where it's only like 270 pages. Ooh, and I love the, that. the print is really big <laughs> and the oh, margins wow. are wide. So, oh, I bet I could read this in like six hours. You'll um, get through that. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I, I don't know a lot about it. And in fact, I didn't do much research. In fact, I haven't even heard of most of these books. Um, but we'll see. Have you heard we'll of this? See. No, I've not heard of this one. Okay. But you heard of the candy house. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I do know that it's a British writer mm-hmm. and, um, she had a, a Claire Louise Bennett had a debut novel called pond in 2015. And it's also kind of this book checkout 19 is experimental. It says in the thing here. Okay. Um, but it's apparently a lot of fun. Okay. Well, tell me what you think. I will if I get to it. All right. Third, we've got Demon Copperhead by the wonderful Barbara Kingsolver. Another book I have not read. Have you read it? No, but I got it for William for Christmas. Oh, fun. Because, Liz Easton, it is a retelling of Charles Dickens's David Copperfield set in contemporary Appalachia. Oh, wow. What do you think about that? What a great idea. I already love the sound of it. Yeah. You know, I I actually, I read like the first couple of sentences and she really, well, (laughs) for the first two sentences, she really, you have a sense that she's, she writes in Dickens style. Uh Uh-huh. I was born here in this time and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like a very, you know. She's incredible. Yeah. 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 She is. I've only read the Poison Wood Bible by her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I read one of her most recent she wrote a book just a couple of years ago that I read and loved. I can't remember the name of it now. Untaint. No. Anyway. Yes. And Poisonwood Bible is a classic. She is, I kind of get her confused with your other person, the night watchman person. Oh, Louise Erdrich. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. They're both prolific for sure. And probably contemporaries. Yeah. 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 I think that's why. So I, I'm looking forward to Demon Copperhead. I've read David Copperfield maybe three times. Oh, wow. Actually. Um, So it'll be interesting. And I know that it goes into, since it's set in contemporary Appalachia, it goes into things like opioid addiction and the problems of rural poverty. So it would be interesting to see what the parallels are with David Copperfield and the problems in that book, societal problems. Very cool. Okay. Moving on to the furrows and elegy by... Namwali Serpel. Yeah. Never heard of it. No. Um, the one thing I know about it is that, well, it's it's all right here, but I do know this. We're we're looking readers at the little blurbs, but um the protagonist is is a, a woman who loses her brother when she's a kid and he's a kid. And then she keeps seeing people that remind her of him, and in fact has an even has a relationship with one of them. And I don't know why they resemble him, I guess. I don't know, visually. So she's haunted, and but I don't know what else it's about. That's the so fur- interesting. That's such a common um, feature of grief, you know, that after someone died, even for a long time after they died, you see someone who you think is them, like yes. on a train or on the street and your heart kind of catches like, oh, it's so-and-so. And then you have to remember all over again, like, oh no, they're gone. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. an interesting premise for a book. 
It is. It is. You know, I, I love how we're we're trying to sound like experts, but we don't know any. We have no clue about any right. of the books. We're just readers. We're just people who read a lot. We're just readers. Um, All right, next. So, so we're 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 batting zero for zero so far. Yeah, but I the next one I know that I read. Okay, I, I that have one. I have Demon Copperhead at home and Checkout Nineteen. From See, the you're library. in good shape. I have yeah. Checkout Nineteen checked out. Ooh. From the library. But now the fifth fiction is Trust by Hernan Diaz, which I reviewed in a recent episode of this podcast. So go back. I won't make you go through that again. Although I will tell you that I talked it up so much on the podcast that one of my friends said, like, God, you made that book sound like it was the best book in the world. And then I read it and like it really wasn't for me. It's like, I guess that's reading for you. But I thought that it was kind of a masterful. Um, the construction of the book is really creative. It's um, basically four different books, four different, very short books, just one after the other into one volume. And so you kind of, by the end of the book, you have figured out the truth of a story that these four different volumes tell different versions of. It's really good. It's about sort of um, capitalism and industry and greatness. And it's really good. Trust has been on a lot of lists that I've been mm-hmm. seeing over the last couple of months. It was on Barack Obama's list of best books of 2022. It was also um, in the Week magazine, which we get. And that's a sort of compendium. It takes various different magazines. So when you distill, Trust became one of the top five fictions. That's, cool. that's great, Liz. I, I commend you. I think you even said when you reviewed it on this podcast that you thought it was going to be one of the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is an early example of me trying to like read the tea leaves of the New York Times book review section. This is the only time that I succeeded, I think. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So readers, in case that was a little too meandery, the <laughs> top five fiction books, uh, according to the New York Times, are The Candy House by Jennifer Egan, Checkout 19 by Claire Louise Bennett, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, The Furrows by Namwali Serpel, and Trust by Hernan Diaz. Yes. All right. Now it's on to the nonfiction. Oh, my gosh. I read so such little nonfiction last year. Really? Oh, yeah. And it was all stuff that was just like right up my alley. Like I read that big book, um, Chaos, about... Um, about Charles Manson and the CIA. Like, oh my gosh. No, like, <laughs> just, and then I read a lot of like church books and kind of work adjacent books. So let's see. Let's see what's on this list. There you go. Nonfiction. All right. An Immense World by Ed Young. And um, Ed Young was the Pulitzer Prize winning author of I Contain Multitudes, another book I haven't read. Wait, he won a Pulitzer Prize for I Contain Multitudes? Apparently. Did you read that? No, but Ed Young won a Pulitzer Prize. He writes for The Atlantic, and he's the writer who did all those amazing COVID articles early on. I mean, he was like the he he was the reporter on COVID, which is why he won the Pulitzer Prize. He was so good um, and just like a trustworthy person, like the the Dr. Fauci of. Uh-huh. Um, of, of news reporting on COVID. And so it was interesting to see this book show up. Um, This is the one that I have read. Oh, you have? I have. I listened to it on audiobook. I just finished yesterday. So I I can say something about it. Please. He explores the animal kingdom, 
I mean, everything from like little mosquitoes to blue whales, but he does it via the lens of the senses. And it's not just, you know, sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch. There's like, um, he, he, he perceives these as sort of senses that animals have echolocation, like what mm-hmm. bats and dolphins have, and also um, using magnetic fields to sense things. So each chapter is a different and long uh, description of how other animals see the world or might see the world. And it's fascinating because wow. you don't even, I, there are so, okay, so this is my review of it. I think it's, I think it's an amazing book. But you shouldn't listen to it on audiobook because there's so many details and it does get a little scientific, even though he's a good storyteller. But um, <laughs> it's just overwhelming. Like, but everything is astonishing. And now I can't even think of an example. Echolocation is basically bats screaming mm-hmm. at a pitch that we don't hear. And they're screaming at what's around them and what bounces back. They're so finely tuned to the shape and the the kind of the timbre of how their screams come back to them that they can basically see the shapes. Wow. What's in front of them. So they can they can hunt for moths and know the flutter of the wings just by screaming in that direction. Wow. Getting the it's crazy. There's a shrimp. I can't think of the name. It's a something shrimp. There's a shrimp, and he talks about it. It punches anything that comes near it. It's that's how it kind of defends <laughs> it. And so he sticks his hand into a tank, but it's a little baby one, and he gets like hit like <laughs> so fast, like it moves lightning fast. And the bigger ones can really do harm. There's so many stories. Um, Birds use magnetic fields to travel, you know, north and south, and they can be disrupted by light, you know, affecting them somehow. Mm -hmm. So like the Twin Towers, when the memorial happens with the two beams up into the sky every year, all these birds get lost on their migratory path. Uh, really messes with their systems. And so they've started turning those lights off when they see a lot of birds in the beams, mm-hmm. they turn the lights off for 20 minutes because these birds are so calibrated for their migration pattern that if they even get lost for a day, they might not have the energy to make it to their destination. Oh my gosh. The thing I came away with from this book is I, I won't talk too much about it. it it's too late, but um <laughs> I thought, you know, you don't have to seek supernatural proof of God. Yes. You have to do I, is look deeper into nature. Mm-hmm. It is astonishing. Yeah. I, the elegance and perfection of creation. It's it's like science fiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are little mosquitoes that have such delicate sensors that they can smell your skin sweat from like a mile away. Wow. And this sort of thing. And it's just, it's a fascinating book, but it's a little dense. I will say mm-hmm. that. So, um, you know, prepare yourself or read it in small doses and do not do the audiobook. book. Wow. On the World by Ed Young. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Liz. You're welcome. <laughs> Maybe that'll just be my recommendation. For the day. Yeah, that's that would be great. All right. All right. Our next nonfiction book is Stay True by Hua Tzu. And that is, I've never heard of it, but it looks beautiful. The cover's lovely. And it looks like it is um, a memoir that is set in Berkeley, California in the mid nineties. Ooh, I would love this. I can already tell in this Uh quietly wrenching memoir, Sue 
recalls starting out at Berkeley in the mid-1990s as a watchful music snob, fastidiously curating his taste and mercilessly judging the tastes of others. Just like you. Just like me, exactly. Then he met Ken, a Japanese-American frat boy. Their friendship was intense but brief. Less than three years later, Ken would be killed in a carjacking. I remember hearing this about it when it came out. Mm -hmm. Sue traces the course of their relationship, one that seemed improbable at first, but eventually became a fixture in his life, a trellis along which both young men could stretch and grow. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's very interesting as a premise. I love the idea that it's about male friendship. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he makes a whole book out of just knowing him. Because it sounds like it's about how it affected the rest of his life. Because Mm -hmm. I gets killed three years after they meet. So that, yeah, that, that I do find that fascinating. Next, we have Strangers to Ourselves, Unsettled Minds and the Stories that Make Us by Rachel Aviv. Never heard of it. Yeah, it came up on a couple of best of lists. And so, you know, Liz, here's where I make a little confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as I was disappointed by last year's list, uh, because I did read some of those, Uh, When the new year comes around, I am all over it. So I ran to the library online and put on hold every book I could if I didn't buy it on audiobook or, you know, find it on audiobook. And so uh, when this one came around, I was so overwhelmed that I just immediately had to return it, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) which is true for a few of these. But um, I I guess she it's about um, well, I don't know what it's about. I know it's about. um, kind of psychiatric stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's some kind of mental, mental health and mental distress. Well, I'll just read the little bit if I may. Sure. In this rich and nuanced book, Aviv writes about people in extreme mental distress, beginning with her own experience of being told she had anorexia when she was six years old. That personal history made her especially attuned to how stories can clarify as well as distort what a person is going through. This is an, this is not an anti-psychiatry book. But what she does is hold space for empathy and uncertainty, exploring a multiplicity of stories instead of jumping at the impulse to explain them away. That sounds interesting. It does. It sounds intense, though. It does. Yeah. Even the cover. You know. Yeah. All right. Then next we've got Under the Skin by Linda Villarosa, The Hidden Toll of Racism on American Lives and on the Health of Our Nation. Have you heard of it? No, I'm unfortunately I have not. I hadn't heard of the book, but maybe I heard a discussion that maybe was about the book because I remember stuff being up this past year about how healthcare for African Americans and other people of color was statistically inferior in quality mm-hmm. to what was given to um, white folks. Yeah, um, and I think that this book talks about that. And it's, you know, that it's it's yet another example of how it's just so endemic and so systemic in everything. I don't even know. I, sometimes I think that it's so ingrained in us that we don't even mean to be prejudiced, but it's just sort of, it's part of how things run. Mm-hmm. And so we don't even notice. Yeah, this sounds important. I'm going to put this on my list. Yeah, yeah. It's beginning with a long personal history of her awakening to these structural inequalities. The journalist, Linda Villarosa, repositions various narratives about race and medicine, the soaring black maternal mortality rates. So many more women die in childbirth mm-hmm. for black. It's crazy. Yeah. In the America, heart- it's, it's incredible. Right? right. The rise of heart disease, hypertension, et cetera. 
It says it's, she sees it as not as evidence of black inferiority, but of racism in the healthcare system. So that's intense. Yes. All right. One more. All right. This sounds like something I would like, which I have not read. I'm going to might put this on my list right now. Um, we don't know ourselves by Fintan O'Toole, a personal history of modern Ireland. And I've heard of Fintan O'Toole um, as sort of like a voice, an Irish voice, an essayist. I don't think that I've read anything that he wrote, but this is a, uh, it says an ambitious project charting six decades of Irish history against his own life which uh, includes, I would imagine, a lot of things, the Troubles, um, Irish, mm-hmm. the fight for Irish independence. I like it when people write histories that are sort of through the lens of their own lived experience and sort of testing their worldview against sort of what the historical record and narrative is. So this sounds interesting. I like to read books about modern Irish history, especially like, you know, late, like 20th century Right. Irish politics. Right, right. Absolutely. I very much want to read this book. In fact, in fact, I think I even I, think I even bought it. Out of all the five nonfiction books, this is the one I was mo- I'm most uh interested in reading. I, I did read a snippet of it somewhere or other. Maybe it was in a bookstore. And um it really is. He 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 looks at the history through his own the lens of his own life and what music he likes and what things he, you know, was interested in growing up. And then, but also what was going on around him. Yeah, this, this I'm sure this is very different, but it, it makes me think of that book, Say Nothing. Yes, I loved that book. That was one of the best books that I have read in years. Ditto. Yeah, Ditto. loved it. Yeah. So uh, once again, recapping the top five nonfiction books, according to the New York Times of 2022, we have An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us by Ed Yong. Stay True, a memoir by Hua Su, Strangers to Ourselves, Unsettled Minds and the Stories that Make Us by Rachel Aviv, Under the Skin, The Hidden Toll of Racism on American Lives and on the Health of Our Nation by Linda Villarosa, and We Don't Know Ourselves, A Personal History of Modern Ireland by Fintan O'Toole. Very good, Liz. Yes, I just put, I just put a couple of those on my list. So you've only read Trust and I've only read World. (laughs) Oh, my. I will say I am more excited about this list than I was about last year's list. 2021. Yeah. Yeah. In part because I'd already read like three or four by the time we did this podcast. And yeah. And you didn't like them. I was consistently disappointed to the point that I thought, you know, it feels almost arbitrary. (laughs) Yeah. Like these are the ones they had a chance to really read or I I mean, I would love to know how they actually choose these 10, you know, they they do the 100 notable books. There's a lot. Well, and even that list, I had not read a lot of. Right, right. Yeah, I was surprised. I feel like there are books that you I would have thought would have been shoe ins. Yeah. The top 10 and were barely mentioned. They made it into the 100, but I can't think of any right now. I'm going to, so I have two recommendations Mm -hmm. and I don't know if they were both in the top 100, but um, 
I think one of them was, but uh, so the first, so can I give my recommendations now? Yeah, Cause yeah, I've been dying yeah. to talk about this book on the podcast for so long. So um, the first book I want to recommend, I went crazy for, like I became an evangelist to this book. I had um, a former Bishop of ours who I just adore a retired Bishop was had um, surgery where he had to stay off of his feet for a long time. He's a big reader. So I sent him this book. It's like a big tome. And I was like, just enjoy like stay off your feet by reading this book i recommended it to like all of my bookish friends um some people seem to like it some people it didn't grab them in the same way but here is the book it is called properties of thirst by marianne wiggins and i'm gonna look up really quick marianne wiggins was a finalist i think for either the pulitzer prize or the uh, national book award with a previous book of hers that has a very religious sounding name, which I haven't read. Evidence of Things Unseen. Oh. Never read it. Sounds really familiar. Yeah. So I've never read that, but I've heard it's great. It's totally on my list now. Um, but let me tell you quickly about, without spoiling anything, about the premise of um, Properties of Thirst. So essentially, it is set during World War II in California sort of in the shadow of uh, Mount Shasta, like in the Central Valley, during the water wars of um, the mid 20th century. And there's sort of, there's a family, the the story sort of circulates around this family who owns a little ranch there and has um, encountered personal tragedy and like love of the land and this sort of like long history of a family living in one place and fighting the city of Los Angeles for the rights to this water. Mm. Then um, the United States government decides to pick this town as a location for a Japanese internment camp. And mm. so this young off, and he's, he's actually a civilian, but he's working for like the department of the interior. He comes to this California town to build this internment camp and he is Jewish. So he's really seeing that he's fighting the Nazis. And over the course of time, building, housing, managing a prison camp, he sort of grapples with these really difficult ideas about racism, (laughs) you know, like all of the racism that we encountered um, in the United States during World War II, which was sort of taken for granted as like national security. Um, So sort of that complicit aspect of, of being a part of this really unfortunate part of history but the characters are just remarkable. The book itself is sweeping, although it really only tells the story of a few years. Uh-huh. And there are real heroes, like people who did just incredibly heroic things in the midst of that darkness. There are um, really complicated and compromised people, some great, like fanciful storytelling. And I will say some of the best food writing. That I've ever read. There's a little restaurant sort of at the center of this. And um, some of the food writing is just incredible. There's like old Hollywood stuff. It's just great. It's big. So here's the part that's kind of a spoiler, which if you read a review, I wouldn't spoil it. But I get all the way through the end of the book. I'm like, this is the best book I've read in years and years. And the epilogue is written. There's like an author's note at the back of the book that is written by Marianne Wiggins' daughter. And it tells the story about how her mother had a stroke after completing not even the first full draft of this book, had a massive stroke. Mm -hmm. And um, 
her, the daughter, sort of explaining to her mother's team, like, would this happen so often when people have huge medical traumas, like trying to explain to her caregivers and her doctors, like, you don't understand this woman. Like, she is a genius. She has lost her faculty of language. But like, you need to understand who she is and who she was before this injury. So completing the book becomes a part of her rehab. And together, through notes that her mother took, through drafts, like they just slowly finished the book. And that became part of her recovery. It helped me understand the book better because there are aspects of the story where there are like weird transitions where you're kind of like, oh, I didn't, okay, I didn't expect that or I didn't see that coming. And it became kind of part of the voice of the novel. And then to read later that she wrote it while recovering from a massive stroke. It was like, oh, of course, like that kind of makes sense and no spoilers, but I will say the ending of this book is just arrestingly beautiful. Like the last two pages I was weeping. I reread. It's gorgeous. Wow. Wow. Loved it. Properties of thirst. Properties of thirst. Marianne Wiggins. And I posted about it on Facebook um, at my end of the year reading recap and said that it was the best book that I've read. In years, and somebody posted like, "Oh, come on, another World War II book." It's like, well, first of all, I don't read a lot of World War II books, so I don't really know what that means. But like, yes and no. Like, yes, it is that, and also it is not that. It's just gorgeous, right? right. Well, um, a couple of things, Liz. First of all, I, I'm you might have said it, and I'm, I'm I might have missed it just now. But what? So is she recovered from her stroke? Yes, she's in a wheelchair now. And um, I tagged her when I said that the review was the best book I'd read in years. I tagged her in my Instagram, which I do sometimes with authors and publishers. Uh And her daughter responded and was like, hey, I'm Marianne's daughter. I just want to tell you, like, this is so kind. I told my mom about it. And she says, thank you and happy reading or something. Oh, that's nice. So I don't know if she'll ever write again, honestly. Like, it was very, very difficult for them to do this. And um, But she saw it as her masterpiece. Her daughter recognized that it was her masterpiece so that they, they would finish it together. Wow, that's awesome. The same thing I was going to say is uh, the person who commented about another, come on, another World War II book, that's a little sassy, I got to say. It's not like Um, I read a lot of World War II books. There are a ton of World War II books out there Mm -hmm. that just, it does feel like, not that you've read a bunch, but that there's just such a glut. Yeah, totally. And a lot of them have the same cover almost, like a man Mm -hmm. and a woman in a misty kind of yeah, walking away down a road or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like sweet Frances or however you say yep. that by Irene Marofsky. Like that book seemed to have, I don't know if they kicked it off, but there are all these things and all these angles. And I, I do feel personally a little bit like, okay, enough. You know, I sort of am saturated. However, this sounds like it's got a totally different angle because it's, yeah, it felt different to me. It's not Europe. No, uh, it's all about, it's California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good for you. I don't think I have a comparable or I don't even have a a recommendation uh, to make at this time. Um, I would say another one. You have another one? Yeah. Yeah, let's you can have my pick this month. Thank you, because I'm almost done with it. I'll hopefully finish it tonight. I think that this was on a lot of people's best books lists, but I just hadn't read it until right now. And it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. 
when I first, I got it through a book of the month. And when I first read like the dust jacket, I was like, oh, this doesn't really sound like me. It's about video games. It's about people who make video games, right? which is something I know nothing about. Nothing. It is just like, I cannot even imagine knowing or caring about it. And gosh, it is a beautiful book. Nice. It really is. It's a book about friendship. And I feel like the, it's a and it's a friendship between a man and a woman who are straight and are not lovers and never were lovers. And they have this dynamic, creative relationship building video games that are like um, epic. They're not epic stories, but like they are they change the genre. You know, they're important mm-hmm. video games. And um, it's just a beautiful thing to read. And it's a little nostalgic. It begins in the 90s and goes until, um, I think, it, I haven't finished yet, but it might go all the way to present day. And it's just a really beautiful exploration of friendship. Nice. When you say a beautiful book, do you mean that the writing is good or the story is mm. um, riveting or the language? I mean, I know it can mean different yeah. things. You yeah. said that about properties of thirst, especially the last couple pages. And then this. Well, I value good writing for sure. So it's not like that doesn't matter to me, but I'm a character person. And so for me, a really, I think a book that I would use like that word to describe, it is something about the beauty and complexity of the characters that you come to know and like, and that feel real even if the story that they tell or that's told through them isn't especially important, you know, sometimes I like those sort of quiet, like, here's just a interesting person. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that might be what I mean. I don't, I don't, this wasn't why I was asking that question, but you know, the New York times every week, they'll have something called by the book where they do Mm -hmm. like an interview with an author who's come up with a book recently. And they'll ask kind of the same questions, you know, if you could have a dinner party with any, any writer living or dead, who would they be the three people, et cetera. And one of the questions they often ask is, are you more, I forget how they ask it, but are you moved more by the emotional or the intellectual aspects? Mm. Like what's more important to you? And almost invariably people are like, well, both are important and la, 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 la. And I'm thinking, no way, man, it's the emotional. Yeah. For me, it's the emotional for sure. Totally the emotional because that's the poignancy. That's how you like your life kind of gets sucked in and it's fine. I mean, I'm sure for some people it is the intellectual because it really stimulates them. They, they learn about a history from a country Mm -hmm. they knew before, but for me, it's, it's definitely emotional. Um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I like books that explore ideas, I guess sometimes, but what I, I want them to explore the idea through an emotional transformation you know like i i want the experience of reading the book to be an emotional experience for me right right absolutely i think that's why i, I even though I, I liked an immense world the book i was talking about that mm-hmm. about the animals and the senses I, I didn't find it beautiful i found it fascinating and i found it um really eye-opening but you know obviously that the, there's not a, a narrative structure and characters and you know, people to root for, like there would be in fiction sometimes and right. historical fiction or even history, if you're reading about someone's life. Mm-hmm. Or so, um, yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Oh, Liz, you're such a good reader. So are you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, before we go, uh, we were going to say how many books we read oh. in the last in the year 2022, because yeah. we both keep track. 
And um, my total this year was a little, it fell a little short. I, I always am happy if I can do 52 books, mm-hmm. but I only got to 44 last year. Wow. Yeah. How about you, Liz? I read, my goal was 50 and I read 49. I was hustling through that week between Christmas and New Year's. I was really trying to make it. And like at the airport, I picked up a couple of thrillers. Like I'm just going to whip through these. And then I was like halfway through the 50th book and I couldn't finish it in time. Ooh, the clock ticked midnight. I know. And this year I'm not doing, I mean, I'm keeping track of what I read, but I, I'm not setting a goal because um, I like reading a couple of super long books a year, like really big doorstopper books. And um, I, when I was really trying to hit a goal, I just didn't do that. I would avoid the super long kind of epic books that I like to read. So I don't want to do that this year. So I'm not putting any pressure on myself. Good. Good for you. You know, I, I think that if we, sometimes I think the numbers game, like, Oh, 52 books. When I read so many books, sometimes I even just forget. Yeah, totally. It's just, it's, it feels very consumery. Mm -hmm. I don't like that about myself. It's very goal oriented. And I, I don't know, I just, for me anyway, that's, that's a little unhealthy, but partly that's because I have like 800 books on my shelves yeah. <laughs> that I haven't read, like yep. kind of literally. Um, I will say I'm reading an easy book <gasps> that is a doorstopper, The Lincoln Highway by Amor Tolls. Yes, that runs through Nebraska. It does. And the, it starts in uh, Nebraska, mm-hmm. the, the beginning of the book. So I was thinking about you a lot. No. And um, it's such an easy read. There's something to be said for that. I got to yeah. say. <laughs> a good kind of plotty page turn. And he's a great author. Oh, yeah. yeah. I haven't read The Lincoln Highway. I gave it to my dad as a gift, maybe for his birthday or something. And I have a friend who read it who was like, he must have done so much. She is really into Nebraska history. And she was like, he nailed it. Like, he absolutely got it. And through, I mean, I forget exactly where The Lincoln Highway goes, but Every once in a while, you'll run into it in Nebraska, the historic Lincoln Highway. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I would hope it runs through Lincoln, Nebraska, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't think it does. Yeah. Um, well, I, we should probably stop. But yeah, <laughs> more quick thing. Yeah. What was it? Oh, Amor Tolls, the guy. So he wrote the Lincoln Highway, but he also wrote a book that William and I both loved, A Gentleman in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And this book, The Lincoln Highway, is really different from oh, that. Interesting. And somebody told me that they heard an interview or read something where he says he really tries to change up his style every time. That's cool. Uh, the kind of book. So it's it's just, it's really different. If you were expecting more gentlemen in Moscow via Nebraska, uh, <laughs> that's not what it's about at all, but it's delightful in its own way. So speaking of people who have different styles, I tried reading the new Cormac McCarthy book. Like I put myself, he did a, he released a, like a diet, like two books at the same time. And I got the first one. Like I must've been like first on the waiting list at the library. I was so excited. I read like 10 pages and for the first time in years was just like, absolutely not. This is unreadable to me. Yeah. I cannot read this. Wow. It was, and it was the style. Like perhaps there was a great story in there, but like no character was named or like their names would change. Even within the first 15 pages, I was like, what the heck is going on? So I returned it to the library. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
I'm not going to read Cormac McCarthy. I might read The Road, but yeah. he wrote a few. He wrote the No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. I can't even think about that movie. I haven't even seen it <laughs> because it's so violent. And so scary. dark. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a baby, but okay. Well, I guess that's it. Yeah. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of PCBC. You can catch us sometime next quarter where we'll give you more book recommendations and we won't talk about the New York Times best of list because uh, it won't be out yet. As always, you can find us on our website, poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can buy merch on our website. We have so much merch. Look, there's Ricardo. He put a sticker on his water bottle. I've got a popping collars logo sticker on my wall. So cool. And we have a very cool logo if you didn't know that. So check it out. And um, you can find us on Episcopal Journal also. So .org. <laughs> so uh, with that, thanks for listening and happy reading. We'll catch you next time. Keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. I'm giving you